morning. Just give me a second to get the thumbs up here. Well, it's nice to be here. Good morning again. I praise the Lord for that music, right? I told Greg, just, I'm good if you guys keep going. You know, just more songs. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Uh, we have been with you a, a handful of times. It's the fir- first time for me to be speaking here, but we, we know your assembly well. We're encouraged by you. We love coming here. I, I'm here with my family. I have four kids, two boys and two girls. And for them, the two weekends a year that we drive over to Chamberlain Lake are a total highlight. So I'm thanks, Brother John. I'm, I'm glad to know we're back on the schedule. Those uh, Scott Malone deep-fried Oreos are, are like legendary and talked about. So I'm, I'm glad that that's back. Looking forward to that. We'll be there. We'll be there next month. The girls first or the boys first? Girls, girls first. <laughs> we will be there. Well, I grew up with James and John. I, I or John and James. How do you guys do that here? Do you go the biblical order, uh, James and John, or do you? Is it James is always first. <laughs> I'm from uh, Valley Bible Chapel in, in uh, New Jersey, and we just referred to them as those clowns from Connecticut, so <laughs> lovingly re- referred to them as that. <laughs> well, I invite you, uh, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us here. It is a privilege to sing, to worship, uh, to praise the Lord this morning. Well, you turn to uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 will we'll be in that passage today. As you're turning there, I, John referred to me as tall and skinny. I haven't heard that in some time, but uh, I grew up playing basketball. I loved basketball. I grew up on the mission field. My parents were missionaries to the Philippines for 20 years. Phil and Mary Parsons, I think they've been here. Now uh, currently uh, down involved with the work at CMML. And uh, I love the Philippines. I, I was with them for 10 years there growing up, and I loved all sports. I played basketball, and uh, I love playing basketball in the Philippines because Filipinos are about this tall. So advantage Americano there. And we had uh, a great uh, faculty there at, at this missionary school. One of my, my mentors and important people in my life was my coach. He was a lifetime missionary. They don't quite make them like that anymore. 50, 60 years in the Philippines. He just came off the field. He's in his 90s, I think, living on the West Coast. And uh, Coach Hardiman was a wonderful man, is a wonderful man. And he taught us a lot about uh, the Lord uh, by the time I was a senior playing basketball for him, and he was a, a coach of some renown, a player of some renown, could have gone pro, but decided to go to the mission field and, and be a missionary instead. 
he, uh, he was getting along in years by then. So there wasn't a whole lot of coaching going on. At practice time, he'd sort of roll the balls out there. And, and he had a lot of idiosyncrasies that were charming and funny. One of the things he did, Coach, Coach Hardiman, he would, he would pray during our timeouts. Now, I went to a, a missionary school, a Christian school, but praying in a timeout is, is still odd. It's like there's not enough time. You're not really calling out and reaching the heart of God. And, and his prayers were like this. My, my friends and I, 25 years later, we can still say it word for word. He, he'd get us in. He's like, all right, boys, let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our lackadaisical play. Help us to get on track. Play harder in the second half cute, right? We could be up by 30 points. Lackadaisical play. Lord, we're sorry. Coach, come on. We should be praying for the other team about now. (laughs) Prayers. That's where we're going this morning. Those prayers, I would say, fit into kind of the routine and, and procedural kind of decoration around Christian life. And they become that way for us, right? The prayers were uh, just sort of routine, and, and we kind of just tack them on to what we're doing. Love my coach. Got to see him a few years ago, and he's, he's doing great. And we joke with him about those prayers. And I think now he would just laugh, too. It's the topic for this morning, prayer. Prayer. How vital it is for us. Encouraged by what John read about just the saints being together. And, and do you miss that? And I feel like the same kind of thought could be applied to prayer life. Is it not happening? And it's something for us to think about this morning as we go through. Just have that going on in your mind. How am I on this topic of prayer? Just came through a, uh, maybe some of you were on the Zoom calls, a North American Week of Prayer put on by an assembly group uh, down in the South. And brothers and sisters on calls all through the week, seeking the heart of God. It's so encouraging. I know the pandemic has just changed a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of operational things for how we do church. But I've been so encouraged to join these Zoom calls and pray with people. So prayer. How are we doing with it? Is it a, is it a central part of our, our Christian walk and our Christian life, or, or is it peripheral? For the believer, uh, we've got this wonderful gift, communion with God. Are we taking advantage of that that intimate access that we can have with a holy God and a a loving Savior? So a a, uh, survey recently from Crossways Publisher, they asked 14,000 people, uh, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? Only 2% said they were fully satisfied with their prayer life. 
So if you're there with them, you're, you're kind of in the regular company of Christians who want to be doing better. Acts chapter 10 is the passage we'll get into. We'll, uh, we'll read that in a minute. Why don't we just look to the Lord first and, and ask for his help this morning, guiding our thoughts and, and uh, removing distraction. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to open your word. The, it's fitting. It's the first thing we do at the start of a new week is to be together with God's people and remember your son. Jesus, the, the only name that matters. I pray that that's, as we sang it, that would be our ambition. The only name that matters to me, Jesus. Just that name. Lord, you command us to pray. I pray that in the looking at your word this morning, that would be top of mind for us. Cause us to see why these things are important and how they could affect our lives. We ask you for help this next 20 or 30 minutes, Lord, just to guide our thoughts, keep us focused on you, remove the distractions that we brought in through those doors, the, the heaviness of life that we're thinking about right now. I pray that you gently remove that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10, and we'll start right there at the beginning. This is a, a pivotal moment in all of Christian history. The gospel is going out to the Gentile world. First time for this to happen, the the church is a Jewish church. All of the founding members are Jews. And the Great Commission hasn't happened yet. The disciples there are, are still kind of in their deep-seated knowledge of the law. And we're going to read here about this moment in history that, that God uses to take the gospel to a Gentile world. And... What I want to look at is prayer is a central theme through all that that runs straight through the passage. And God orchestrating his plan through prayer. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. We'll stop there for a minute. Cornelius. Luke captures for us here in Acts. He just, it's a short statement. We get five things. He's a centurion, Gentile. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gives generously, and he prays continually. That's Cornelius. Picking it up in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon and a tanner who is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. So that's Cornelius. He's heard from the Lord. He's been told to do something, and he does it. Verse 9, we'll meet the other person in this account. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So we have here Peter, right? The well-known Apostle Peter. We know him well. He's a close friend of Jesus. He's a Jew. And he's a key member of the early church in this time. The rock of the church, Jesus calls him. And he too is praying. So let's draw out three things from this passage. I have three points in the outline. The first one, and you can write this down if you want. The man or the woman of God, people of God, they will pray continually. Point number one, pray continually. Because as we've launched into this passage, we find that in this moment, both men are doing exactly that. They're praying. And we read about Cornelius, right? In a one-paragraph synopsis of his life, we're told that he's a prayer. He prays continually. And it's so interesting, right? Cornelius is not even saved. And he's praying, and somehow those prayers are making it through to God. The the angel here uses Old Testament language. He says that the the prayers have been offered up as a memorial. That's, That's to say that God has remembered those prayers. Amazing. Prayers heard by God, even by this non-saved person. But we read that word that it was done continually. Some of your versions may say regularly. And of course, we, we know that from Peter. He's praying at a certain time at a certain place because that's what Jewish people like him did. Especially an apostle who was tied to the work of Christ and was dependent on the hearing from the Lord. So that word, continually. We have to ask ourselves, the, what are the things that we do that we could classify as continual? Ongoing, regular. There's not too many things that we do without ceasing, right? We, we eat, we, we sleep, we breathe. Continually, if we didn't do those things, we would cease altogether. Continual. It's interesting that that language is used. We read that in 1 Thessalonians, right? Paul says, pray without ceasing. You know, I've been thinking on this passage about, because we've been told this our, our whole lives, right? From Sunday school, through youth group, through Bible camp, Guys, you need to be praying. 
And we see it as a behavior here for people in Scripture. Tied to survival. For myself, I'm, I'm praying for things because some things aren't moving. Right? For any of you that have been praying for some number of years, you might have things on the list that have not moved. And so we need to pray continually. We need to pray through closed doors. That there may be another door that opens. That there might be new mercies that, that come in. Because the Lord does say no. The Lord does say wait. It's been said of early African converts that they, they had this uh, devotion to prayer. That they would pray. They'd go off into the village uh, thicket area and they would pray. And they would walk through to their path and, and land in that spot where they would pray. And as a result, the, the vegetation there would die out. What a picture, right, of spending so much time in prayer that you can see the area where you've spent time in prayer. Continual prayer. And as some measure of accountability, you know, if a brother fell into uh, stopping that behavior, they'd say, uh, brother... The grass grows on your path. You need to get back there. It's helpful for us. Continual prayer. How are we doing with this point number one? Continual prayer. That same survey had a, had a double click on one of the questions that would ask, in the last week, how many minutes would you say you've strung together in an uninterrupted moment of prayer? of people said 10 minutes. It's pretty telling. Intentional prayer. The man of God, the woman of God, will pray continually. Just want to add a a, a quick section here of how. Right? I'm in Awana. I'm in, uh, we're getting our, through the pandemic, we're getting our youth group fired back up. So we want to give our kids super practical lessons, right? We've all told you to, you guys, you need to pray. But how? Write, write these three strategies down. Have a time, have a place, have a plan. We'll hit them quickly. Have a time. Acts chapter, nine verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He had a time, he had a place. It's wrapped up right there. Right For Jews, that was about noon. Maybe they had several times during the day to pray. But Peter is setting time here. He's intentional. And he's going to a place. The place, uh, it's not necessary, but it's helpful to have a place, right? When we have a place to pray, that's what we're doing. We're there and nothing else. When we go to work, we're there to work. When we go to a restaurant, we're there to eat and When we go to our place that we've set aside, we're there to pray. And that's helpful to get intentional time with the Lord, meaningful connection. The quiet place. Jesus does this. Oftentimes it said, while it was still dark, Jesus went out to pray. And he would go to the quiet place. When you pray, close the door. And seek the Lord. It's important that we're intentional about this stuff. 
have a plan. It's not in the text here, but maybe a bit more tactical and, and, and helpful for us. Have a plan. If you're going to spend time talking to the Lord, don't just meander around uh, your thoughts. It's been said of, of Christians, and I, I can uh, attest to this. We're, oftentimes, we're not praying. We're just worrying in God's direction. So write it down. Have an outline of what you might do. You've heard, we're in Acts. You've heard this one, the, the Acts acronym, A-C-T-S. Right? A is, somebody help me, uh, uh, adoration or acknowledgement. One of those A's. Just spending some time telling God there's none like you. You're worth my time right now. You're worth all of my attention. Adoration. C, confession. Having spent enough time uh, adoring the Lord, confess in light of who we are. Confess shortcomings. Confess sin. T is thanksgiving. Right? Spend the next chunk of time just being thankful for the things we do have. And then S is supplication. And that's when we take our request to God, interceding for other people. As John said, important One of the most important things we can do is to pray for one another. Have a structure. Last thing here is uh, use someone else's words. Right? I like this one. When you're spiritually dry, open the Psalms and pray those prayers. We're staying with the Cliffords, and, and they've got nice things and deep pockets, and they've got this machine that you just say, play worship music, and it does. And on theirs, it's got words to it. And oftentimes, hymn writers, songwriters, they have the words so much better than we do. And it draws our heart to the Lord in ways that we couldn't do. Have a time, have a place, have a plan. Next in our passage, and I know I'm running short here, I'll the man of God will, will pray obediently. Pray obediently. I'm just going to summarize those, that next section. From verse 9 through to 23, Cornelius has been met by an angel. Peter's been met similarly. And now it's Peter's turn. He's on the roof. And he has this vision. And in this vision, unclean animals come down. On a, they're lowered on a on a sheet. And he's heard in the vision to, to kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I won't do it. No, Lord. Because in his mindset, in his character, he's been, he has this knowledge of dietary laws and he's not going to kill unclean animals or, or, or mess with them at all. And the, the Spirit of God told him here, what the Lord has made clean, don't call it unclean. And he leaves that here. He then tells them, Peter, three men are going to come looking for you. Go with them and don't doubt. Go with them and don't doubt without doubting. The point I'll draw out here is right after these things happen, there was next steps that had to take place. 
there was an element of obedience that needed to happen here. Right? From Joppa to Caesarea, this is about a 30-mile journey in between these two guys. They'd have no reason to meet. That's probably a two- or three-day journey. There's probably quite a bit of inconvenience and schedule change and disruption. So it took some measure of obedience to take what's been heard and to step out and do it. Prayer demands our obedience. Listening to the things that God might be impressing upon your heart. I imagine for these guys, they could have rejected it. Wow, that was a strange vision. I'm not, you know, and then get busy with the day. Get busy with the schedule. I'm not going to Joppa. And for Peter, I'm not going to Caesarea to that Gentile's place. I'm not doing that. They could have rejected it. When we pray and we have things that come to mind, and I'm not, these were visions, it's a little bit different, but there are times when we pray and something comes to our mind that we ought to take care of. We need to obediently respond. I've heard it said we need to put feet to our faith, right, and do the thing. I mentioned my dad and mom are missionaries war missionaries in the Philippines. And I asked my dad a few years ago, and I I couldn't believe I hadn't asked him this years previously. I said, Dad, when you were my age and even younger now, did you have a moment where, you know, through prayer you heard from the Lord? Did you have that moment of validation of like, yes, we should go to the Philippines? And without hesitation, Dad said, yes, two times. And he shared with me the first one. He was, you know, he was in Massachusetts sitting there with this opportunity to come up to move to the Philippines, to take, you know, my dad, mid-30s maybe, to take his young family of three over to the foreign field. And he hadn't yet told uh, the elders. He hadn't told his parents, my grandparents. And he and mom were just sort of praying through it. Should we do this? Should we go to the Philippines? 1985. And out of the blue, the phone rings. And on the other side of the phone was uh, a friend of dad's from Camp Berea. Those two guys would know a guy named John McCauley. He called my dad. Now, he knew him from camp days, but John would have no reason to call. Never called my dad ever. This is the 80s, right? He probably didn't even have the phone number. It's long distance. It's all of these things. And I probably hasn't called my dad since. (laughs) John called and he said, Phil, I don't know why I'm calling. I, I have no reason. You know, I was just praying. just praying and and thinking about you. And uh, is there anything I can pray for you for? (laughs) You know, Dad could have dropped the phone. Yes, John, there is. There really is. We've got this big thing in front of us. And, you know, that was a moment that 
changed the trajectory of my parents' life, my life, obviously. And God uh, accomplished that through prayer. And obedient prayer, right? John, as he was thinking about dad, didn't have to make that next step. And God would have used someone else, I'm sure, to give dad those confirming moments. Maybe that's the encouragement for us this morning as we think about praying continually. Maybe for us it's just to be obedient with the things we're praying through. To make that next step, that call, that repair that relationship, whatever that might be. In obedience, responding to the thing that, that God is impressing on our hearts. It was a life-changing moment. Uh, closely connected to that is, is the last point. Last point here. Praying continually, praying obediently. Let's pray expectantly. Expectantly. And the thought there is to, to pray knowing that you might be the answer to someone else's prayer. You might be the answer to someone else's prayer. And I think of that in the, in the lives here of Peter and Cornelius, two men who never should have met, people groups that do not mix and mingle. And the Lord is orchestrating this moment. And it turns out that they become the answer to each other's prayers. Perhaps. We don't know, the, we don't know what their words were. But we know that Cornelius is going to be saved, and we'll read that part. But Peter is also going through a conversion. He's a Jewish man who is learning what it means to live under a theology of not law anymore, but grace. And Peter's receiving a conversion here. We don't know how, in our life, we, we don't know how the Lord unfolds all of his plans and purposes. We don't. But we see a couple of things. We see God's unconditional will and his conditioned will. And his unconditional will, the, the Lord is, is going to move and act without any of our influence or help. But there are moments, God's conditional will, where he has a, a design and a desire but God won't accomplish it until he hears from us. We even think about that with our salvation, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but he's going to wait for us to profess faith and ask for forgiveness and to trust Jesus Christ alone. So we see that our prayers are the mechanism by which we can be involved with God's program and be the answer to someone else's prayer. Tony Evans said it this way. He said, many things in my life and in your life are tied to God's conditional will so that things happen or don't happen, not based on God's decision, but in our Why prayer is so God's plans get accomplished. We have continual prayer. We have 
obedient prayer, and here we have expectant prayer. Just that thought that we could be the answer to someone else's prayer. We'll close the passage here. Verse 25, Peter enters the house. Peter enters the house. This is a a pivotal moment, a huge moment in all of Christianity. This Jewish man is breaking all the rules, and he's going into what he would deem to be an unclean place. But what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. And now that's making sense for Peter. And it's incredibly significant that all of us here sitting in the room can trace our history back to this moment. Gentiles, the gospel coming to a lost people. Peter and Cornelius were in each other's lives through prayer. So when we pray, we can pray expectantly, regularly, obediently, expectantly. I know we're just a a little bit over. I want to close with one story, personal testimony. I tell it any chance I can. How prayer was a, a key part of a moment in my life. Uh, we have four children, uh, three biological and, and one adopted. I think she's in the nursery right now. And this is our adoption story. People who have adopted kids love to tell their adoption story. And I'm no exception. In, in 2012, Sarah, she shared with me that, you know, our house feels, I feel like someone's missing, you know, And I did not have this thought at all. We had three kids uh, under the age of six, or like up to our ears in diapers and bottles, and no one's missing. (laughs) We are. But I, you know, and this had gone back a few years. In 2007, we had a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. So we thought adoption might be in the cards from us, uh, you know, might be God's will for us then. Uh, and so we're, we're back to it in, in 2012, just thinking and praying about it. I committed to pray. And, uh, you know, praying but not really enthusiastic. Adoption in this country is very expensive. And there's a lot of closed doors and a lot of uh, hardship and a lot of unknowns. Uh, but I, I committed, Lord, I, I will pray. I will pray and will pray and will continually pray through this. And that was the approach. Uh, But it's still very slow going, right? Very slow going. Um, And then it came time for that first installment to go to the agency. So now it's beyond talk and prayer, but are you going to do this? Lay down the money. And like I mentioned, this is a financial burden. This is difficult. And I said, you know, Lord, I I don't know what all the steps of adoption look like, but I, I can see this step in faith. We'll make this step. And so we did that. A cool thing happened right away. I took a new job, and there was a large, uh, as part of the new job, there was a large adoption credit uh, attached to that. And if you adopted a kid, the company would kick in some money. Oh, this is great. That's, you know, Lord, thank you. But I have to say, it was still super slow going and frustrating when you're kind of committed to something and in it, and it's not moving at all. And six months turn into 
10 months turn into 18 months and nothing's happening. And I remember even sitting there and, and the, the agency worker told us, um, well, you, well you, have a, you have a portfolio and the way it works is when you uh, have a prospective mother, they show them a book of your family. And they decide if they like you by, by looking at the book. And, and I was told that, oh, we haven't even shown your, your profile yet. So, so not only is it slow going, we're not even really in the game. And this is really frustrating. And, and it feels like uh, the Lord's closing this door. Um, in parallel, at this very time, in, in central New Jersey, uh, there's a, uh, a, an older couple with, or, you know, parents with a um, college-age daughter who are walking a very, very hard road. And without, without detail there, they are praying and heartbroken. because of a, just a, a very difficult circumstance in life. And they're praying for their college-age daughter. And they're praying for, for some light in darkness. And so they're praying. And we're praying. And then our phone rings. And they've looked at our profile. And this was a Wednesday on Thursday, they'd like us to meet them. And on Monday, we're bringing home our daughter, Eva. And guys, through it all, it was prayer that was the theme. Prayer made that situation happen. A couple uh, and us who would otherwise would never meet Praying continually, praying through uh, uh, amazing difficulty, praying through closed doors, praying obediently and stepping out when we thought we needed to step out. And then I'm convinced, we'll know in heaven someday, that we were the answer to their prayer, that, that God used us to bring good news out of a dark situation. How is it with us, with prayer? Why don't I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we've been told as Christians our whole life that we need to talk to you. We've been told that you hear us. We've been told that when we draw near, that, that you will draw near. Lord, help us to take advantage of this amazing gift of, of intimacy with you. That we can call on you at any time, just as we are. Help us, Lord, with this discipline of prayer. Encourage our hearts today to do this better. Lord, I pray that like the psalmist, we would be able to say as a people, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. In Jesus' name, amen.